it's kind of nice when you're when you're not perfect yourself it's kind of nice to live somewhere that's a little bit shit <laughs> you're listening to the swedish podcast hosted by jill lecky and kat tregarski in conversations about the paradox of life between two cultures. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Swedish podcast. Firstly, before we go any further, I have to say a huge thank you to every single person who has listened to the podcast or downloaded it in the last month because you contributed towards us breaking our download record. Over a thousand people downloaded our podcast in the month of May which just means that our little podcast is not as little as we thought it would be. And with that, I'm so excited to share another terrific episode of the podcast with Linnea Dunn, our guest this week. She is a journalist, a columnist, an author, and also a podcaster who happens to live in Ireland. But she's Swedish. And I invited Elenia onto the podcast so that we can talk about all things Swedish, but from the perspective of a Swede looking in on Sweden. So Elenia, thank you very much for chatting to me. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for the invite. You are based in Ireland. Whereabouts in Ireland are you actually? In, in Dublin. Dublin. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. The reason I wanted to have a conversation with you is because you are the opposite of me in so much as the fact mm-hmm. you emigrated from Sweden to Ireland, um, whereas I emigrated from Scotland to Sweden. But first of all, we always ask our guests to, to kind of give you a, a sort of an origin story. So could you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are? Well, there's a moment from my childhood when I was 10 or 11 or something, um, when my dad had some visitors over in our house, he had been to Northern Ireland to a place called Carmilla for work. And some friends of his, this Irish guy and a Swedish woman came to visit afterwards and they brought me a present of a clada ring and told me the story behind it and everything. And for whatever reason, I really absolutely fascinated by that. I always think back to that as kind of the first introduction I think to Ireland. I mm. don't. I don't know why, but mm. there was something about that and about them, I suppose, that I really liked. Mm-hmm. And then I just wanted to do what all all Swedes do, or what a lot of Swedes do after secondary school, um, and take some time out and yeah. improve my English and go and work. And Ireland was kind of there as an option. And then I think that was the time of the Celtic Tiger. There were a lot of jobs in Dublin. I heard about you know nice pubs and cafes where, as a Swede, you would quite easily get work mm-hmm. and. That was that, and I moved when I was nineteen, uh, a baby, wow. <laughs> and yeah. um, brought along a friend who I didn't even really know that well at the time, but she was keen to go as well. Uh, so we went over and started working in busy Temple Bar, the kind of tourist area mm-hmm. where everyone goes partying and mm-hmm. all that. And mm-hmm. yeah, I th- I just kind of fell for Ireland. I don't know when I look back now. I think I didn't know Ireland well then. Like uh-huh. the first few years I spent in Ireland. Um, I don't know what it is that I really loved, but I tried to leave. Um, I moved back to Sweden after a year uh, and I just always missed it. Mm. I kind of wish I had. I wish I had that appreciation that you felt that you had when you first moved there Mm. to Dublin. 
But it's really funny when you can't pinpoint it. Like, it's not like I could sit down and, and write a list and make a rational decision to move to Ireland. Yeah. And we actually ended up living in London for almost a decade in between. So I, I met my husband who, so like, I suppose I stayed for love, you could say. But uh, we met and at a time when I was kind of ready to move back to Sweden again. And he was ready to move back to London where he had emigrated to originally mm-hmm. um and so eventually we ended up both moving to London and when we were when we decided when I was pregnant with our second son to move back to Ireland again loads of people told me don't go it's going to drive you crazy you're a feminist do mm. you really know what it's like uh you know on paper but like really really know what it's like mm-hmm. um and yet it's the best thing we ever did mm. And still, I can't write a list. If I was to write a list, like say when we were leaving London and decided to move back to Dublin, we had grandparents um, in Sweden and grandparents in Ireland. And it was kind of one of those things, like we couldn't afford a shed in London. So like we had, it was time to pack up, you know. (laughs) And I really, really, I wanted to go back to Ireland. Uh Uh, But I mean, if we were to sit down then and write a list on paper, we should have moved to Sweden. Mm -hmm. At the time when we moved to Sweden, my partner and I, because I met him in London too. Uh, and, and we were at the point where we wanted to start a family too. And it was that mm-hmm. decision of, we didn't want to stay in London anymore. We'd been there, for, like like you, we'd been there for about a decade. We'd done the bit that we needed to get out of our system, you know, when you're sort of in your 20s or 30s and whatever. And thinking rationally about having a family, it just didn't seem feel right for us to, mm. to stay in London. Mm. And we did the list too. We were like, do we go to Scotland or do we go to Sweden? And it, it was a no-brainer. It was an absolute yeah. no-brainer for us, you yeah. know, because we knew that Matthias was able to get a job there directly like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we knew that the social insurance there for families was just mm-hmm. heads and tails above anything that we were going to be able to get in, in, in the UK in terms of supporting me as a new mum, but also, you know, our the start of our family. So, yeah, that was the reason... Oh, look, I know this. Yeah. I lived that. <laughs> I lived that alternative because I, I think Ireland, and even though, you know, in the UK, at least you've got the NHS, um, whereas we don't. So, like, there are plenty of reasons why moving to Ireland when you have kids or want to have kids mm. is a terrible mm-hmm. idea. There is a point at which I think it's hard to go back. You go somewhere and you can't undo what's happened in the time since you left. Mm-hmm. You see where you where you come from differently and you see the place you've moved to in a new way mm-hmm. and you see yourself differently and you can't like you're no longer just Swedish say yeah. in my case yeah. um and I think I think a lot of people like me probably move for a reason mm-hmm. I can't say that I know exactly why that was that I felt that I needed to get away but I think I did mm-hmm. uh, and I think um going back at that point would have been difficult mm. I think I need therapy sessions for that one but it's like <laughs> do you know it's no I don't think I think yeah maybe do but I mean I think I relate to that entirely I go through huge periods of feeling very homesick despite the fact that I've now been here for six years which doesn't really sound that long but when I get back home to Scotland there are things which do not don't feel right yeah. And as you said, you know, you can't put your finger on it. You don't know really what it is, but there's something that just, there's certain 
cultural or social elements which have changed in your head not in that country but in, in your home country but in your head and how you see the world the lens which which you see the world through i understand now i have changed my my attitude has changed my belief systems have changed maybe my values have also changed slightly mm. and i think you you realize as well that you're looking at where you came from um through some kind of ro- rose tinted glass um like you romanticize so much about it and i think being a swede abroad that's constantly fed to you as well people keep asking me oh my god why did you leave why would you not move back sweden is utopia and it's almost like you kind of buy into that and go yeah i know it's utopia of course it isn't and i know that <laughs> but those kind of the, the the tick box items i suppose the the um insurance of in terms of the rights when you have kids the healthcare system which i know is probably collapsing a lot at the moment but you know there are all those things the schooling the education um and yet you go back and you kind of realize well there's a lot more to a country and a culture than that mm. i had a conversation with lola Ockerstrom, who you might know oh yeah, yeah. her take on logan was interesting she came up with and, I, and it's something that i had never thought about before in this context but you know there's logon which on an individual basis not too much not too little but when you start moving logon to a group setting that's when it kind of merges with Yantilogan and this idea of no, can't Who step out yet, yeah, yeah, don't step mm-hmm. outside of this nice little box that we've made now because that's, mm-hmm. you know, and I had never thought about about it putting it into that kind of setting mm-hmm. in anthropologically. Like Lagom isn't that popular in Sweden. No. I don't think. Like Not the now. idea of it, people would laugh at the idea of that being a trend or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. Um But then on the other hand, I think it's that thing of like taking for granted what you have that you can no longer see in a kind of privileged sense because for me that's all it's kind of linked in with the having quite a big middle class at least in the past and the whole folk hemet idea of mm. no one's left behind mm. and the consensus of okay so we've debated all the different options and we've agreed that this is the best way to do things that can be suffocating but it can also like for me that's also part of the kind of the social democrat heritage of looking after everyone kind mm-hmm. of we're in this together and i mean i could talk about this for forever there are a lot of sides to that and it's not simple um but i think it's easy as a swede to kind of if you live in sweden to go oh i hate that and it's so this and it's so that but but you're actually benefiting from hundred years of that as well absolutely it has its limitations mm-hmm. um and i think with swedish society diversifying the idea of this kind of you know very very set boundaries of okay if you fit within this box we can absolutely take care of you that's no problem whatsoever we've got everything set up for you we've got everything in place but if you come at that little box you come at it from a different angle or an entry point there's almost a sense of, you know, um, it, they just go, we don't know what to do, we don't know what to do with you. Oh my God. Yeah. You know? It's like, you don't fit the box. And I think for a lot of people coming to Sweden, that doesn't fit with the story that they get told, the utopia story. Mm-hmm. You know? So there's yeah. a kind of this dis- cognitive dissonance of Sweden's the best at this and it's achieved this and, you know, we're top ranking this, da, 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 da. And then people are like, great. Yes, fantastic. And then they land here and it's like, Okay, so I, I'm not entitled to that. 
or that or that or that how do i get into the labor market how do i you know move around once you kind of get your head around that you're like right okay i know that this is a different approach i know i have to take a different way from what i'm hearing from your experiences in moving to ireland was there any expectation reality adjustment that you went through do you know what i, I was 19 and i can't say that i really knew who i was and it was fun and I was free and I didn't really expect anything. It was not Sweden and it lived up to that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But also like Temple Bar, which is where I worked and spent a lot of time at that time, the first year. Um, that's not representative of Ireland in any way. Like no. It's, you know, that's just <laughs> a load of pubs in the most touristy part of, of the city. Um, so like it could have been anywhere, probably. Um and then you wonder, so so what was it that I fell in love with if I wasn't really experiencing Ireland? And I'm I'm kind of still figuring that out. But I do, like I do love it here. I have that, mm. you know, the the plain lands and I feel home, you know. Mm. Um But yeah, I, I can't say that I had a lot of expectations. Uh when we moved back then, I think I was probably prepared because so many people have been telling me that it was terrible and it's not mm. terrible there are a lot of things that are great about here mm. um and i suppose maybe as well we had thought about it for a really long time and i had wanted to move back for a really long time mm-hmm. um i didn't expect it to be perfect i didn't expect it to kind of give me something i knew that i would have to build my own life or our life here mm-hmm. when we moved back we didn't really have a lot of friends here when we returned mm-hmm. and I had you know a toddler and I was heavily pregnant at the time mm-hmm. so I was trying to kind of build a new life while I was quite not immobile but you know what yeah, I mean like yeah, it, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, not I, the we, ideal time I moved yeah. here when I was pregnant as well so but I, I mean I didn't have another toddler but I was heavily pregnant when I moved here as well so I know that feeling and actually like I ended up as you you know as you know then when you move somewhere when you're pregnant your first friends are kind of the mammy groups or the parent groups or whatever and initially i didn't really fit in we were living in an area where the whatever the local mammy group it was just not my tribe for lack of a better term or my gang mm. um mm. and i ended up finding my people through social media because i got involved with the repeal campaign about you know abortion rights and women's rights and all that stuff so you know, I suppose I knew that as well when I moved back. When we were in London, I never found a way to engage with the feminist activist conversations. It was quite cliquey. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't feel like there was a space for me there. And I didn't really know how to kind of do the work that I felt quite strongly I wanted to do. Whereas when I moved here, I had just decided we're moving back and I'm getting involved in that campaign. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I became very, very, very active. It was my life for mm-hmm. a number of years. So that kind of set the scene as well for, I think, being a part of this huge groundswell of change and positive change in this country that we had made our home, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think that finding your community, finding that group gang that you can that you can feel as though you have purpose in is is immensely important um and i think it's something that a lot of people who move here in um in in sweden struggle with quite Mm. quite significantly um and i think language is probably a barrier to that yeah i can imagine yeah and um it's uh 
it's a question that I, I, I struggle to answer because a, a lot of people ask me as well is, you know, how, how do I find my, how do I find my place? How do I find my purpose here? Because it's quite, it's, um, it's hard to, to, to find your purpose without being able to communicate a lot of the time. And do you think that the podcast for you and the kind of immigrant identity has become a part of that? When I first came here, I, like you, used social media as a way of finding my tribe because mm. it was scary. I'm not going to lie. It was scary to find mummy groups in Stockholm because at that time, I my Swedish wasn't good enough to be able to feel confident in myself mm. and to be myself you know there's always this saying that you know when you speak a different language you actually are a different person absolutely yeah so how can you get to know people without being your authentic self so I I for the first time in my entire life I took to blogging and using social media as a way of as a catharsis really in order to get out there how I was feeling about certain things that were happening around me and to use social media as a way to connect mm. outside of, 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 of my little geographical bubble. I just remember that feeling of walking down a street in Vasistan going, I cannot possibly be the only, you know, UK immigrant who is heavily pregnant, who is who has moved to Sweden because she has a Swedish partner. I can't possibly mm. be the only person out there who's in this position, but I, I genuinely did. I felt like I was the only person experiencing this right now. Mm. So it kind of, um, so that was one of the reasons that kickstarted, you know, what I'm doing. And then, um, then I decided that, yeah, a better way for me to share stories and other people's stories, because I'm not a writer, is podcasting through telling stories. Mm that way mm. um and and that's how that's how this came about and and yeah th- I think my immigrant identity is really important to me um because even though I'm a naturalized Swede I don't want to give up any part of my Scottish identity mm. I think there's a there's a big difference there with the language barrier because when I well, when I moved to Ireland first, it's not like I would have been taken for Irish straight away, mm. but fairly quickly people started to assume that I was Irish and I don't look like because, you know, there's no mm. kind of skin colour or anything like I, there's no way to tell or there, mm. there, at that point there was no way to tell that I was not one of them, so to speak. Mm. Mm. Um, now that I speak Swedish every day with my kids, I know that my accent kind of sometimes gives it away and it's different and I like that, you know, I, I never tried to sound Irish, but I have a musical ear so I picked it up and that just happened and I think that kind of it makes it easier to to just blend in while you get to know people and of course you tell people that you're from somewhere else and you know you have that conversation mm. and I'm sure they view me differently because of it but there is no language barrier whatsoever cultural mm. yes like there will be cultural references that I wouldn't have understood mm-hmm. um but yeah mm. and I think that's the other part of me of why I really want to hold on to my immigrant identity is because I kind of want to put two fingers up to the system and say, mm. this is what an immigrant looks like, mm. you know? And your warped version of what you think an immigrant is, which is brown-skinned, from North Africa, you know, and, you know, some other awful kind of misconception, 
is not true. It's not necessarily true, you know? And the same goes for what does this weed look like? You know, I have to check myself regularly when I'm thinking about that utopia. And it's, yeah, yeah. it's white little children with really blonde hair running around naked on a beach. And then I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Swedes don't all look like that. What is this Atterlingen kind of, you know? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's why I want to have so many different types of people as possible on this podcast to really change the shape of the conversation about what is Sweden? What is a Swedish immigrant? What is being Swedish? Because there is this perpetuation of stereotypes, which is still going on, which is still running. Um, And uh, yeah, I just want to be part of that conversation change. I mean, I, I think there's an interesting conversation around the language that we use when we talk about emigration and immigration mm. um the way that people like us would often refer to ourselves as expat yeah and uh, i've stopped doing that um it's this idea that it's okay for us to move and it's okay for us to go somewhere and decide that a different country is my home but when it's a refugee it's different it's another type of mm. immigrant um that there are good immigrants and bad immigrants and mm. people like look at brexit and oh. the rhetoric around that like you know if you come with qualifications and you can earn a certain amount of money you're a good person you're welcome to to come here but if you're one of those you know you're just going to be going on benefits and <laughs> sucking the system dry then you're not welcome just sends sends hot rays of rage <laughs> through me when i hear conversation i mean literally and for me, it's, for me, it's all about the, the hypocrisy of the system. That's what upsets mm. me about it. But sometimes I feel like I'm banging my head against a wall, when, I, especially yeah. when I'm talking to uh, people who have lived in Sweden all their lives. Um, because it's like, you know, they, they, there's kind of this refusal to, to sort of acknowledge it. Um, mm. But it's so interesting because if you speak to a Swede who has like yourself lived outside of the country or has traveled to or has you know for short periods of time moved abroad to different places i don't understand why but they just get it (laughs) (laughs) they just get it and it's it's a very interesting it's a very interesting phenomenon one thing i wanted to ask you was why did you want to move away from sweden what made you want to go but you know i don't know i i don't know um what do you know when you're 19? Um, I, I wanted to leave um, to just, you know, I had no desire to go backpacking and mm. travel the world. I don't think that I had a huge desire to go and discover something else. Mm-hmm. I think I just wanted to go, which yeah. probably says something. Um, and I come from a privileged kind of very safe, Um, middle class family kind of safe background small town Sweden I couldn't have asked for anything else Mm. like really I was so privileged and lucky and I was happy it's not that I like I wasn't suffering from any mental health issues either Um, Mm. so I can't say that there's like even now looking back knowing that I clearly wanted out I can't say why Um, I would say that maybe it had something to do with being an overachiever in school um and having lost the plot a little bit um like I had really good grades in school and then I was going to study languages and 
already at that point I left small town Sweden for the kind of small city closest Mm -hmm. to the town to study music instead so I'd kind of decided that I was breaking with the pattern of going on to whatever study languages or politics or law or whatever Mm. it might be Mm. um I hadn't given up on that but I mean I I definitely moved on from something and I moved I had my own apartment when I was very young Mm. um studying music and yeah I suppose there was probably pressure of some sort to achieve something and I didn't know what I even wanted to achieve Uh, and going away was easier yeah I had I had a conversation with um a fellow Swede who lives in Scotland now actually um when we were so my parents used to live in the the city she's from in Sweden and we met up when we were both home one summer for a drink and we were just chatting about you know life and she's had kids recently as well and choosing to remain kind of to not move back to Sweden and she said do you know it's kind of nice when you're when you're not perfect yourself it's kind of nice to live somewhere that's a little bit shit (laughs) and and that wasn't her criticizing Scotland or me criticizing Mm -hmm. Ireland that was kind of I think hitting the nail on the head of this sense of if everything the box that you were talking about if everything Mm -hmm. is so structured Mm -hmm. and this is the way you should be living your life Mm -hmm. and you feel as though you might not really want to or you mightn't be able to or you mightn't be good enough at it Mm. that you can go somewhere where like in Ireland there's the ah sure it'll be grand attitude yeah um and that can be really really frustrating don't Mm. get me wrong but it can probably be liberating as well there's the therapy session (laughs) I'd never thought about it like that before and I think you might have you might be onto something there this idea of it takes so much to to work at being perfect um mm-hmm. but yeah humans are 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 not perfect <laughs> any stretch of the imagination and there is a sort of unsaid expectation which um we all come here with we all come to sweden with i think you're you're meant to fit into that box in sweden you're meant to not think too highly of yourself and be too full of yourself and stick out too much and wear too bold colors or whatever um but then there are some people who get away with it Mm. in sweden like if you make it if you're Jonas gadel and you're really flamboyant that's okay because we we've kind of accepted okay he's grand so he's allowed (laughs) to be that he can be eccentric we have a few of those um and actually we have that in ireland as well Mm. so so I don't think that's uniquely Swedish like here there you'd see bands that are starting to do well um and a lot of people would be like oh, who do they think they are <laughs> and I think they're great you yeah. know and can't <laughs> accept them until they do well in America all of a sudden mm. or in England and then it's like they're Irish we love them mm. you know it takes a long time to figure that stuff out and mm. I think that's one of the unsaid things about coming to a new country is that it's not you're absolutely right it's, it might not necessarily be the language barrier or the the kind of in your face culture stuff the really obvious culture stuff but it's the subtle bits it's the underlying you know subdermal stuff mm. that is unsaid amongst 
communities and cultures and societies. I think there's maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know Sweden very well anymore, to be honest, but mm. I think there's a contradiction in Sweden as well in that I find that it's quite a materialist culture mm. and you can't have that without individualism. Like that that all hinges on this sense of we need to make people feel that they're not good enough or else they won't consume. And like the the interior design, the design clothes perfect you know the right clothes for the right weather all those narratives kind of feed quite a lot of consumption and Mm. there's a different way of consuming here i'm not saying like you know a lot of sweets would probably be more frugal in one way Mm. but like people just buy clothes and the right coffee machine and cool house things and (laughs) you know you kind of you need to do that mm. you need to do that mm. well, or at least that's what it feels like yeah and, and that's like i think that there is this weird kind of self-realization that you need to sign up for in order for that to be relevant mm. uh, and that kind of contradicts the idea of the the community and the neighborliness and the social democrat full chem at everyone's here in it together you know going out on a hike yeah it's less cozy than that yeah People have huge expectations on countries being something that we can kind of put in a box as well. Yeah. And and even this idea that you need to kind of pick where you belong and then that's your choice and you stick with it. And then it's almost like you've kind of taken sides in this war between cultural ideas or something. Mm. Like when, when we moved back here, um, a lot of people were like, I can't believe, I don't understand how you can choose to live in a place that treats women like that mm. this is before abortion came in and I was like do you know they, they'll keep treating them that way even if I move to Sweden mm-hmm. it'll be easier for me to pretend that it's not happening mm. yeah but like that still happens we're still in this world together mm-hmm. you know there's mm-hmm. like my living there yes I pay taxes here mm-hmm. but like my living here is not a vote for every policy it's in place here it's not a stamp on the abortion law yes I approve (laughs) absolutely absolutely I want to ask you something about Mm -hmm. um, fun and crack and Mm -hmm. how everyone thinks that Sweden is boring do you think Sweden is boring (laughs) no no my the initial my initial my initial um th- immediate thought was no I don't think Sweden's boring um but then I was just thinking why do I not think Sweden is boring and that's when I was got <laughs> I was a bit stuck um no I don't think have so- you become boring <laughs> I think yeah <laughs> in my age I think I've become boring no um no I don't think Sweden is boring I think Sweden has got its own way of doing things in terms of having fun and mm. you know take for example like okay this is just off the top of my head because i watched it last night eurovision you know mm. the uk couldn't pull this off they couldn't pull eurovision off the way that sweden does you know and I, there's this one of the things i love about eurovision from or or melody festival and for example is this very fine line that they can take between taking the piss out of themselves and it being really yeah. funny 
And I don't know what it is, but it's just, mm. it just, I mean, uh, yeah, it went, you know, Christopher Bjorkman's left Melody Festival and now he's no longer going to be producing it. And it's it's going to be devastating because I, yeah. I think he's he's been one of the main reasons why it's been so popular for yeah. the last couple of years is because he gets the level of humour that is needed to make it really entertaining. Just this very fine line between self-deprecating humour and... Yeah, that's that's what I... I mean, but then I watch some, you know, other Swedish humour stuff and I'm just like, oh, I don't get it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. tapped out. Don't know. Um, but having said that, though, in terms of the other fun stuff, I mean, I'm talking a very literal humour fun here. Mm, mm. Um, but other fun things... <laughs> I'm really struggling here. <laughs> like you know, my definition, my definition of of good crack, right? That's my my definition of good crack is probably spending an afternoon in a pub garden having a really good time with my friends, mm. and that happens here. That mm. does happen here. The only problem is it hasn't happened for the last eighteen months, so I've kind of forgotten what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> so no, because I, I had a conversation with a friend here in Ireland after we moved back and she was leaving to move to Switzerland mm-hmm. and moved for work reasons, I think, and healthcare and different things. And she was kind of saying, I just miss Ireland because like Switzerland is perfect and it's great and it has everything and it's so organized and we have all the rights and the great healthcare and it's so fucking boring <laughs> and I just felt it <laughs> you know I was like yes sister <laughs> and there was a, an article a while back I can't remember what it was about but the headline this was in Ireland about some some development in Ireland I think maybe to do with housing or something clearly didn't happen but anyway the headline was we could be like the Nordics except funny <laughs> fun and it's that thing of like yeah we want to be like them but not like not that there I, yeah i and i can under i i completely understand why that kind of image has been perpetuated because you know there is a kind of sort of germanic self-righteousness that comes along with the it goes along with the territory of you know yes we're perfect and we're you know yeah. we're very organized and we're very punctual and um and there's not very much room for i think it's sarcasm i think that's the mm. thing you know it's like you know the kind of this sort of that that funny self-deprecating sarcasm yeah which you try and have a bit of a laugh with and then it just falls on deaf ears and you're like okay yeah you know that wasn't you're right actually Swedes don't do self-deprecating stuff really do they but I think it's just because it's not because they don't mean to I think it's just not part of (laughs) I think it's just not part of the it's not part of the setup you know why Mm. would you take the piss out of yourself that's just a really weird thing to do is it though no, no, it's not. I mean, I know I, 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 it's hard yeah. for me to explain it because I have grown. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Scot for God's sake. We are one of the worst at self-deprecating humor. Um, so it's really hard for me to sort of, put, yeah, put my finger on it. But from an anthropological point of view, I just think it's you know there is this like, well, I'm not going to point out the fact that I'm rubbish at something, you know, or yeah. I'm not going to give somebody the opportunity to say that was a bit of shit, wasn't it? <laughs> because <laughs> that would be the worst thing that could happen if I did something wrong yeah. if I wasn't perfect yeah, yeah. I, I guess like if you're going to try to do things right 
back to that box mm-hmm. of you know we have a way of doing things mm-hmm. you need to care mm. and when you care about something really really care about something it's serious mm-hmm. and yeah. you, you know mm-hmm. then things become really serious yeah question this is the last question that i'd like to ask you before um we wrap up but has your world perspective on sweden shifted in the last 12 months in the last 12 months you mean as a result of the pandemic yeah i spent a lot of time analyzing this and Mm. thinking about it because when the pandemic first hit um I was going to say I couldn't go anywhere without... I couldn't go anywhere because we were under lockdown. So mm. that's <laughs> yeah, that's not what happened. But I couldn't talk to anyone without them going, Oh, Sweden, huh? God. You know, it, and I suddenly just became... A the Swede. Swede. <laughs> yeah. And Sweden is suddenly... We've loved you up until now and now Sweden is terrible. It's Nazi Germany. They're trying to kill old people. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And sure, I didn't know what was right. Like who, who, nobody knew what was right. It was just this kind of hardcore in Ireland. Everyone just got behind. Like at the beginning of the pandemic, the public communication here was quite good. It went to shite fairly quickly. But at the mm. beginning, everyone got behind the message. Everyone thought that, you know, full lockdown to look after vulnerable people and protect them was the right thing to do. Um, so obviously, like the contrast with Sweden was quite harsh. Mm. Um and it was weird as well. Like I was on the phone to family and friends who were kind of going, um, why why can you not send the kids to school? That's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Mm. Like taking it a bit, that's, yeah, taking it to the extreme. So it, it was a, a strange place to be in, caring for people in Sweden and hoping they were safe. Yeah. Wanting to, like needing, really needing to get behind the messaging in Ireland because there's no way you get through living in a tiny house with two small kids 24-7 two people working from home full-time while homeschooling if you don't decide that this is absolutely necessary mm-hmm. and at the same time watching my friends in Sweden going out to restaurants and clubs and it's like what is going on this is so bizarre mm. um but I think um what what it probably pinpointed for me was that Swedes are there's this stoicism about Sweden and Swedes that we get on with things we don't like drama and if people are overreacting it's a bit embarrassing mm-hmm. and it felt and now this could be wrong but it felt a lot like at that time in the beginning a lot of Swedes were looking at the entire world going oh my god you're overreacting <laughs> and that's also a bit embarrassing because the arrogance of that Mm. do you know what I mean and and yes Sweden would have had a far better healthcare system and more ICU spaces than mm. for example in Ireland we had to do what we had to do for reasons that wouldn't have been relevant in Sweden um, mm-hmm. I still don't know what was the right thing to do but I think it, it definitely it says something about the Swedish trust in political leaders and institutions which I think that's not news to anyone really you know you get behind that and you think that we're doing the right thing and it'll be fine and just don't cause drama you know Mm -hmm. um yeah it also there's this is not specifically about sweden but there's a lesson in the impact of media narratives there as well because if you listen to how the tone has changed in sweden from the first lockdown Mm -hmm. when the rest of the world everyone was scared people were barely like looking at each other in the street um everyone in Sweden who was getting a different 
message and a different narrative yeah. in the news. Yeah. People had completely different ideas. And now I hear people in Sweden sounding quite scared in a way that maybe has changed a bit in the rest of the world because mm-hmm. we've been living this for a year and a half almost, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I I know that, um, I mean, I lost my business because of the pandemic mm. um, here in Stockholm. Um, but that was because my business was primarily focused at the international community here. Mm. And the international community in Stockholm had a very, very different, had a visceral reaction to um, the pandemic compared to uh, native suites. Um, and it was yeah. simply because, and I'm absolutely convinced it was because this international community were being fed information from family, from international media sources, from their home te- their home countries. Um, so we're picking up that stuff compared to the information, the messages that they were that native Swedes were, were picking up from native media mm. sources, and they just the two just weren't kind of like they weren't going together, you know. So there mm. was this. So my business was absolutely based on people meeting, mm. and then within i mean it was like the lights went out and just nobody started turning up nobody turned up at all um and you know i like we made the decision ourselves as a as a sort of as a a blended family to to kind of go into a sort of self-isolation period ourselves so for a a month we self-isolated there was trust issues there i didn't trust Mm. what was coming out of the swedish media because i was just like they're not taking this very seriously i don't really understand and that just kind of carried on the messaging that was coming out of especially Folkhälsan Indikaten was kind of a bit like, meh, you know, mm, it was kind of this kind yeah. of like, maybe. And I mean, it's the number of times that I've seen Anders Tegnell actually literally do meh, you know, in, in news conference, press conferences, like, I'm just like, oh my God, this is not real. And in Sweden, people were like printing t-shirts with his yeah. face on them. And in the rest of the world, he was like the face of the devil. Yeah. It was so bizarre. Yeah, Everyone was like, oh, that Anders guy, what? I'm like, people actually love him? Like, I don't yeah. know what's going on. I wonder though, and I don't know how representative this is, but um, a number of my friends in Sweden have said that their colleagues and friends and other people, kind of our generation and mm. up, I suppose, mm. uh, are kind of saying, no, I don't think I'll get the vaccine. Like, wait and see how it goes. And I'm kind of going, okay, th- that's different. Mm-hmm. There are anti-vaxxers here. There are people here who are all like, don't force yeah. me to wear a mask because I deserve yeah. my freedom. But the huge, huge majority of people are just like, give me any vaccine anywhere. <laughs> like, inject it in my eyeball tomorrow, please. Like, whatever I can get. And I wonder if, um, when you haven't lived through the proper mm. full-on mm-hmm. really really strict lockdown mm-hmm. where everything mm-hmm. has been dead and closed for months mm. and you know so many people have lost their jobs mm-hmm. um kids haven't been able to play with each other at all for months like if you haven't lived through that and you've just like the pandemic is just this idea that people are talking about mm. in the news and people are dying in india mm. it's maybe easier to go this vaccine is a bit new I think I'm fine, so I'm not going to take it. I yeah. don't know. But like when I heard that, when, when people are telling me that, mm-hmm. I just go into a rage and have to walk away. Yeah. No, and, and I think that's, I think you're absolutely right. Um, because people here are like, oh yeah, yeah, no, but this, you know, Sweden had restrictions. We had lots of restrictions. Our lives completely changed. And I'm like, mm, what, you had the option to stay at home from the office? 
ooh, you know, the kids were still at first school, uh, the, you know, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, really? Did it really change that much? Yeah. Um, and, you know, because they, you're absolutely right, they don't understand the impact that this has had on people outside of Sweden. I mean, it's, you know, we're talking years of PTSD to deal with mm. what's just happened. Mm. Um, absolutely. And my, 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 my sample is one of those people who says, mm, you know, mm. I'm not too bothered about the vaccine. I'm like, you're fucking getting it because you're traveling <laughs> to Scotland and you don't have a fucking option. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if these bloody va- passport, uh, vaccine passports are going to come into effect, you're getting it. You're getting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Consent, you're yeah. getting the vaccine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, uh, yeah, it's the same for me. I'm like, just give me, I don't, I'll take Sputnik. I don't care. Just give it to me. In your arm, I'm not bothered. Um, uh, but yeah, there is a huge number of people here. You're absolutely right. Um, who are kind of a bit like, oh, it was just made a bit too quickly. Oh, I'm not. I don't really trust it. You know. And I'm like, oh, yeah. But of course, they have their. They have a right to do it. You know, we live in, and, and that's the not... wonderful thing that we live in. We live in a democracy where people are not forced to do anything yet. Yeah, and it's not that I don't understand that people are worried. Mm. Like I think there's there are legitimate reasons mm. why people might feel mm. what is this thing mm. that i you know but in the greater scheme of things even as you're looking at the third world or the global south i don't know what we should be saying um and all these places where the virus is running rampant and there are new mutations all the time like the bigger picture here is that we really really need mass vaccination yeah. and quickly mm-hmm. um Unless we want to live in isolation all the time. And yeah. Like if somebody was to say, do you know what? I'm going to stay at home until we have seen the effects of the vaccine in 10 years time. Grant, stay at home for 10 years. <laughs> but like when people just say, no, thank you. I'm going to go about my day because I'm fine. Then yeah. Well, it's just that, it's that kind of classic selfish attitude, you, isn't it? it? You know, yeah. it's like those are the people that, you know, didn't wear the masks for other people, but wore the masks for themselves. That was mm. the, those, that's the, that's the thing. So, yeah, I think... Yeah, um, it's it's I um thank you for answering that question. I know it's a hard one to kind of you know, it's, but it's very interesting to see to to listen to outside perspectives of how the pandemic has shifted the world's attitudes towards Sweden. And you know, I, I don't think it's a long term thing in any stretch of the imagination. No. But I think it's definitely opened the world's eyes to the kind of the values that Sweden holds dear. Which is, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's all about pragmatism. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. But I think for me, more so than than my idea of Sweden, the pandemic changed my idea or experience of what it means to be an immigrant. Mm. And I'm sure you'd relate to that as well. Um, you know, the, the idea that you move away and you can jump on a Ryanair flight whenever you want, even though we can't because they don't fly to Ireland. But... <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the the idea of it yeah. a cheap flight yeah. it's easy to go home they're only two hours away exactly. if something wants to happen blah 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 um, and then you realise that it's not that simple um, mm. and you yeah. don't know like how is this going to change over the long term yeah. we've been seeing my parents like every three months pretty much forever and ever since I left Sweden um, they travelled over here we travelled to Sweden we'd spend you know two or three weeks every summer in sweden mm-hmm. uh and then you realize that 
it's not that simple. And suddenly you think about, obviously, me sitting here being really privileged and it's just a case of a virus, whereas there are people who moved 100 years ago and couldn't go home ever and couldn't send an email and stay in touch on WhatsApp mm-hmm. and people still who are fleeing their homes. So I know, it's again, it's a privileged complaint, but it, yeah, it definitely changes mm-hmm. that experience mm-hmm. quite significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I only hope that it, the experiences of people like us forces change in other areas of migration that mm. that you know we can then we can then help other people's voices and other people's experiences of migration be told better so that mm. you know long-term policies and legislation and processes um, about migration are less archaic and Mm. less complicated and more accessible Um, because you're right you know the, the 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 discomfort that we've experienced over the last 18 months is nothing compared to what a lot of people have experienced are experiencing right now and for reasons mm. which are much more, yeah, much more dangerous. I don't know when I'm going to go back, be able to go back to, to Scotland. They haven't lifted when the ban yet. When did you yet. last see your family? Fortunately, uh, we saw my mum and dad February 2020. It was my dad's birthday. Mm. Um, and we managed to squeeze in a visit. I mean, literally before, uh, January, beg your pardon, it was the January. Mm. Um, we managed to squeeze in a visit just before the pandemic even hit the UK, really. Mm. Or it had already hit the UK. Um, we, we think that, we kind of think that my partner and my daughter may have had it in February. Mm. Um, they were very, very sick, very Mm. sick for about a week, um, in February. I was okay. I was all right. We Um, were actually, because we were in London for a week in February as well, that, that mm. year and were very, very sick, Mm -hmm. very sick. Mm Um, but who knows? Yeah. It's too late now to get tested, so as yeah, well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But we, you know, and and up until that point, you know, and since then we haven't. Since then we haven't really been um, sick at all. After that, mm. we we had, I think we had maybe like we we had something maybe in October, but it was you know compared to what happened in March, it was absolutely nothing at all. Uh, in um, February, it was nothing at all. Mm. Yeah, but we were very lucky to see my parents then, but it's we haven't seen them since then. Mm, that's a long time. And I think the difficult thing as well with grandkids, isn't it? That, you know, my daughter's gone from being five to now six. And that age is a very kind of informing age where things change and, and opinions are made and, and ideas are shaped. Mm. Um, and my mum especially feels that she's really been disconnected from that experience um, and as her only grandchild you know she does feel kind of as though she's had that part taken away from her mm-hmm. um, that Stella isn't as she doesn't feel as connected to Stella as she should mm-hmm. feel you know and of course that that's going to change that's going to you know but yeah it's it's a hard it's a hard thing yeah definitely I think we'll wrap it up here and that was a great end of the conversation thank you so much for talking with me thank you you've been listening to the Swedish podcast 
hosted by Jill and edited by Cecile. If you'd like to know more about what we do, you can follow us on any of your favourite social media platforms at the underscore Swede underscore ish. And if you'd like to rate, review, even if it's just one star, we don't care. Tell us what you think about the podcast on your flav- favourite favorite podcast platform. <laughs>